again, good morning to you all. Morning. Good to see you all again here. So today we're going to continue our study of the book of Genesis, although not in the book of Genesis. Today, today we'll actually be in the book of Matthew in a related passage. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to read verses 37 through 51. So when you, when you find Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, would you please stand for reading God's word? Okay, Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with, drunken, with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we want to thank you. and Lord, ask for your help. Thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you that we uh, are able to own copies of it and be blessed with uh, the ability to read and study. And Lord, thank you for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit within us, teaching us, guiding us into all truth, showing us Christ in the scriptures. And Lord, we're asking for help. Uh, along those lines today, Lord, we want to confess our dependence upon you to rightly understand, to rightly apply the passage that we're looking at and also the uh, passages we've been looking at in Genesis. Lord, we are dependent upon you opening up our understanding and also empowering us to live out what we are learning. So we pray asking that you do that by your power, for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. I uh, often um, do not leave myself time to uh, make the application or, or the connections that I want to make when, when we're dealing with a passage. So there's a confession for you. You probably figured that out. But... Um, Making the right connections and, and uh, uh, 
of course, application is always important. And in this time in particular, I felt like it was uh, especially important. Uh, and I, as I said, I had not, not allowed myself time the past couple of weeks to, to, to get us to Matthew chapter 24. So I wanted to come here today and, uh, and deal with this, um, where Jesus specifically refers to um, Noah and the days of Noah in the context of speaking about what we call eschatology or, or in an eschatological context. And, and that just uh, has to do with last things. The eschatology is a study of last things. Um, so like for, when we, for example, think about the end times, the, the end of days, and that's what Jesus is discussing here in Matthew 24. Now, uh, I do want to say that we, we've, t- we've mentioned this several times, but just so I'm not misunderstood here, um, we are in the last days. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us that. Because the last days are the days between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. And that's where we are. Um, and that's, that's what the Bible speaks of as the last days. Now, some of these events in Matthew 24, and I'm not really going to try to go through here and do a, a, a thorough exegesis of Matthew 24. Obviously, that would uh, require quite a bit of time, and, and uh, I'm mainly con- concerned with how it relates to Genesis here. But uh, if we were to do that, we would discover that some of the things Jesus mentions here in Matthew 24... Mark 13, Luke 21, those are other accounts of the same discourse. Some of the things Jesus mentions here has already taken place, have already taken place, and some of the things that he's talking about here are still in our future and what we might think of as the last of the last days, okay? We're in the last days, but we don't know how long these last days are, gonna, are going to uh, uh, continue. How long, how long will it be until Jesus returns? Um, could be today. Could be another couple thousand years. Oh, we don't know. Um, so, in discussing these things, Jesus draws a parallel or a comparison between the time of Noah and the time of his return, of Jesus' own return. And that's primarily what we're going to uh, focus in on. And the main point being this. And I, I put as a title in the bulletin there, um, always be ready. And that's essentially the main point. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm drawing that little lesson, and we'll, we'll unpack that some. But obviously, I'm drawing that little lesson from Jesus' discourse here in Matthew 24. But I, I really think that is what, part of what we are supposed to pull from the flood account in Genesis. I mean, it is, supposed, it is supposed to... That's one of the things it is supposed to teach us, um, that we are to be always ready. Uh, well, I, I, a couple things here. We're, number one, we're to walk with God, right? And that's what Noah walked with God, just like Enoch before him walked with God. And even in the midst of a perverse generation, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, Noah walked with God. So we want to learn from that and do likewise. And, uh, and 
the way that that played out in his life was that he lived in obedience to God's word. So when God came to Noah and said, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build an ark and, and also uh, presumably in, instructed him and em, empowered him to, uh, to warn the people. And I, I say that because of some things Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, so he obeyed God in building the ark and probably in warning the people of his generation. So he was ready in that he was doing the will of God. Right? God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy all flesh, but I'm going to spare you and I want you to build an ark. And, and so Noah did that. He obeyed God's word. So, the, the main point is this, and a just simple sentence here. We must live our lives in submission to Jesus in order to always be ready for His return. Sometimes you'll hear in the news about a group somewhere, you know, they, they, they go off and do something uh, funny, they sell all their possessions, climb a mountain or something like that, and they, they say, we're going to wait here until Jesus returns, because they, they've got some, quote, special revelation that He's coming in the next day or so, or something like that. Uh, well, that's not how the Bible describes waiting for Him. The Bible describes waiting for Him um, the way that you see it here in Matthew 24. Some of it we'll be able to go through, some of it we won't have time to. But you want to look at it in your own study, Matthew 24 and 25. That's really what Jesus is talking about here, how to be ready, what it means to wait for Him. It doesn't mean just sitting down, you know, passively doing nothing. It means doing His will. That's how we wait for Him. And that's how we are ready for His return. My, uh, my grandfather, my uh, Papaw, what we call him, Papaw, Papaw Rainbow, he was a, a pastor. And... Uh, my, my dad used to tell me this story, told me many times. Um, he would tell my, his father, my, my papaw, he would tell him, you know, I, I think God made one mistake. And that is that he did not tell us when he's coming back so that, you know, so that we would know. And he said, my, my grandfather would always <laughs> say to him, just be ready. <laughs> just be ready. All right? So that's, that's the main point here. And he, I would agree with him 100%. Um, it's not important that we know when. Uh, it's just important that we're ready. At all times, ready. Living in submission to Christ. Um, following the example of Noah, that is, what I mean by that is walk with God. Walk with God and obey His Word, okay? Walk with God and obey His Word. Um, you, we, we can look around us and say, well, you know, it's tough because of the times that we live in. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. It was like that in Noah's day. It was like that in Noah's day. It's going to be like that at the end time. Um, but it... it, it that's still what we have to do in order to be ready. Walk with God. Obey His Word. Now, let me say a couple things about the context here. Jesus is responding in, in the passage that Joel just read for us. Jesus is responding to the question, 
that is put forward in, back in verse 3. Matthew 24, verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? The, that's referring to the destruction of the temple. He, Jesus describes in uh, verses 1 and 2 there. Not one stone will be left upon another. So they say, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So it's kind of a threefold question, but then all of those things are tied together. So they want to know. Jesus has just told them uh, they're, they're admiring the beauty of the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus tells them, look, it's, it, it, this place is going to be level. There's not going to be one stone left upon another. And, and that, no doubt, shocks them. And so, so they say, they ask the question, when is this going to happen? That's the first part. Tell us, when will these things be? And, secondly, what will be the sign of your coming? Now, you, you can tell from reading the Gospels, the disciples did not have a really good grasp of what Jesus was talking about when he would talk about coming in his kingdom. So it's, it's not um, clear what they're looking for here, because we don't know exactly what was going on in their minds, but probably uh, what they had in mind was just him taking authority setting up an earthly kingdom. You know, when is the temple going to be destroyed? They're, they're, they're probably thinking, okay, this is going to be some kind of battle where in the, in the end, you know, and probably with the Romans, right? Because the Romans were, were, they were under Roman rule at the time. So they're probably thinking something like, what he's describing is some kind of battle with the Romans, and in the end, he's going to emerge victorious, and so that will be his coming in power, his coming in the fullness of his kingdom. And Israel will once again be established as a sovereign nation. And Jesus, the son of David, will assume the throne of David and, and rule. Um, probably they have something like that in mind. And I just mention that because you, you, you see plenty of evidence of that when you, when you read the Gospels. They, they didn't have a, a clear understanding of what he was talking about when he talked about coming, coming in power and glory or coming in his kingdom. At any rate, they want to know when will when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, again, not certain how they would have defined that in their mind, other than uh, other than certainly it would include uh, Israel, be, the kingdom of Israel being reestablished and Jesus ruling. But from our perspective, you know, here we are. We've got the complete New Testament. And, and here we are, um, you know, with Bibles in our hands, able to study these things out. And, and so we do understand by his coming, he's talking about his second coming. You know, they didn't fully realize he's going to leave, and he's going to leave for a long time, and then he's coming back. They, they, they understood that later, but not, not at this point, probably. Um, but we do. We know we're talking about his return, the second coming of Christ. Right, And the end of the age means what? Well, the end of this present age. Everything, time, and history uh, as we know it. So there's the question. When are these things going to happen? What's going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus gives answers. He he talks about a series of things that are going to take place first. And, And a lot of it is just... 
normal activity, or if you were here in Sunday school, maybe we should call it abnormal activity, because uh, a lot of it is just what goes on in the sinful world, right? So, for example, he says in verse 6, um, well, first he talks about false Christ, verse 5, and then in verse 7, he says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But notice he says in verse 8, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. A, a lot of times people point to the news and they say, well, you know, there's, there are famines in various places, there are earthquakes and, and uh, tsunamis and tornadoes, all these things going on, nation rising against nation. Jesus must be coming really, really soon. It's possible. But he says these are but the beginning. So these are, these are going to characterize the last days. But again, remember, the last days runs from his first coming to his second coming. All right? Or, or I should say the last day, really, uh, from his uh, ascension, his, his crucifixion and ascension, uh, resurrection and ascension, from there to his second coming. That's the last days. Now, these are but the beginning of birth pains. That little phrase, birth pains, does seem to indicate that all of these things that he mentioned as, as, uh, as coming about will intensify toward the end. Because any woman who's given birth understands birth pains, right? They, they Contractions, for example, and the pain that goes with it starts out spaced apart and it gets closer and closer and closer when you get closer to the birth. So it, it may be that what Jesus is suggesting here is there nation's going to rise against the nation. Um, there are going to be famines, earthquakes in various places and so forth. And these things are going to intensify the closer we get to the end, to the very end, to His second coming. And then He talks about the tribulation and persecution that Christians will have to endure. And I'm going to skip way on down here to our closer to uh, what Joel read earlier. Um, he says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, and, and by the way, again, I would suggest that uh, that is also a way of referring to this whole period from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven to His second coming. It is the tribulation um, in the world... John 16, Jesus says, In the world you have tribulation. Um, in Revelation, we see saints before the throne of God. They are identified as those who have, been, who have been delivered out of tribulation. That is, they've been taken out of the world through death. All right? So, um, now again, there, there, it may be that at the very end, it intensifies. And there's um, even greater tribulation right before Jesus' return. But for Christians, generally speaking, tribulation has existed and will exist throughout the church age. And then immediately after that, immediately after, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So 
Here's how Jesus describes him, his coming and uh, coming in power and glory. Verse 31, And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, down in verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son. So, Jesus says, nobody knows the day or the hour that that is going to take place. And he's referring to his second coming. Only the Father knows, he says, for um, uh, he makes a point of saying, no one knows, not the angels of heaven, nor the Son. Um, Probably meaning humanly speaking there, that's Probably a topic for another time. But that, that, a lot of people are kind of amazed that he says, nor the Son. But again, uh, he may just be meaning, uh, humanly speaking, even um, the Son of God doesn't know uh, out of his human nature. But the Father only. Now, verse 37. So, I, I read all that just to show what he's talking about. He's talking about his second coming and how things are going to be when he returns. For, verse 38, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Alright, so Jesus says, here's, here's, it's going to be like it was in the days before the flood. Right, right before my coming, in fact, I, I think it's um, correct to say, really it's going to be this way throughout the church age, with the possibility also that at the very end, right before he comes, all of these things are going to intensify. Now, how was it in the days of Noah? Well, we've, we've just been going through that, haven't we? Let, let me just go to a, a, a couple of things, and I want to I suggest two things primarily. Um, one, and I know this, this sounds a little contradictory, but... If you think about it, it's really not. We, one is this. Things are going to be really bad. I'm going to give you a little bit of that here in just a second. And I think that's part of what Jesus is saying. In other words, in, in terms of sin, in terms of rebellion against God, in terms of ignoring God or living like there is no God, things are going to get really bad. In fact, um, back in Genesis... Even the idea of, of uh, violence, you know, human violence against humans um, is highlighted. And Jesus seems to um, suggest that as well, or highlight that as well, um, in his parable of the faithful and wise servant. And that's, that's in Matthew 24, down verses 45 through 51. You look in verse 48, he says, But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards. So, so he's describing violence and debauchery. So that's one of the things I would say he's talking about will we'll characterize the generation of people at his second coming. Now think back, or, or you can turn there if you want. You, go back to Genesis chapter 6, 
And this is how, how it was in Noah's day. Genesis chapter 6. First, um, well, I'll go, to, I'll go to verse 5 first. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So, continual evil, wickedness, not just outwardly like men doing bad things, although that's certainly the case, but inwardly. The heart of man, human beings, the heart, the human heart is corrupt. That's how it was in the days of Noah. And it grieved the Lord to his heart, it goes on to say in verse 6. And you look a little further down, still in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. So, right before God determines to bring judgment on the earth through the flood, the condition of man is such that the earth is filled with violence, and even the thoughts, the intent of man's heart was corrupted, evil, wicked, continually. And Jesus says, the way it was then is the way it will be when I return. As in the days of Noah before the flood, that's the way it will be when I return. But there's another aspect too, and this is where I say it may sound a little bit contradictory, but hang with me. A lot of times I have looked at this passage and I think, you know what Jesus is describing here is just everyday normal, oops, sorry, normal activity. Not, um, not necessarily immoral activity, and I'll show you what I mean. In, in verse 38, I'm back in Matthew 24. For as in the days before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Now, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. What I'm saying is it's possible that he's referring to evil activity there. It's also possible that he's referring to just normal activity. In other words, people rocking along, doing their thing, eating, drinking, Getting married, procreating, having babies, just just rocking along, doing their normal thing. Not not necessarily bad, not necessarily immoral stuff, just normal stuff. Now, I think that both are true, uh, and, I, and and you can see evidence for both. I just showed you some evidence back in Genesis chapter six. For the, for the evil, I mean, it was definitely evil in the days of Noah, wasn't it? And that's why God brought judgment with the flood. But also, and I'm back in chapter 6 again, Genesis chapter 6, the first few verses of, of chapter 6, I know there's some evil mixed in there. I mean, that's evident, again, by the context. That's, that's largely what's being highlighted here. Um, but also, just... Like with 
uh, Jesus in Matthew 24. Some of it seems to me to just to be describing normal activity. So you look in chapter 6, Genesis 6, 1, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, okay? Man began to multiply. Now remember, God commanded man to do that, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So now he says, when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Now, that may be describing sinful activity. No doubt uh, there was some going on, no doubt about that. But it also may just be a way of saying people were getting married. Men were finding women attractive and they were getting married. And of course the point would be there that they were doing what God had commanded them to do, which was be fruitful and multiply. Now, I think, and, and, and just a, a, a New Testament reference comes to mind. You know, Paul in, in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So there's another place where eating and drinking is not presented in a bad way. Paul's just saying when you do it, do it for the glory of God. And by the way, I think that is key. So the problem, you go back to Genesis chapter 6, the first few verses, the problem was not that men were finding women attractive and they were getting married and they were having babies. And, or you could say in the language of Matthew 24, the problem was not that people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. The problem in both cases was, and is, that they weren't walking with God like Noah was. So they weren't doing what they were doing for the glory of God, which is what Paul commands us to do in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Maybe the very reason he's saying that, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do, do it for the glory of God, right? And, and that's the heart of the problem. So, in, in essence, what people were doing in Noah's day were pursuing their... They, they were sinning. They were pursuing their own sinful lust, even to the point of violence against their fellow man. And then even in their normal activity that we would not consider as being evil on the surface, even in their normal activity, they were... Ignoring God. They were living as though they did not have a creator to be accountable to. Look back, uh, and I'm back in Matthew 24 here. Look at verse um, 32. Jesus gives a little parable of the fig tree, and he's basically just using that to say, um, when, you, when you see these signs that I've talked about um, come to pass, you know that um, the end is near. So he says here, or that he is near. 
So he says here, he gives a little parable in verse 32, the fig tree, uh, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know, right? You're made aware of something. In that case, you're made aware that summer is near. So also, verse 33, when you see all these things, you know that He is near, talking about Himself. He is near at the very gates. And again, He's referring to His second coming. When you see these things that I've described to you, most specifically, I think He's referring to verses 29 through 31 there. When you see these things, you know that He is near. Or, you're aware. So also, verse 33, so also when you see all these things you know or you're made aware that He is near. Now, go back down to verse 38. For as in the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, verse 39, and they were unaware. And that's the same verb in the Greek. Verse 39, it's translated unaware. Verse 33, it's translated know. You know or you're aware that He is near. So what I think Jesus is doing there is drawing an intentional contrast. If, if you're watching for these signs, if you're doing like Noah did, you walk with God and you're, you're obeying His Word. In other words, you're, you're walking in the light of God-given revelation. In, in Noah's day, it was the Word of God coming to Noah and saying, I'm going to destroy all flesh, build an ark, and get in it. <laughs> and, and Noah lived according to that God-given revelation. He, simply put, he obeyed God, right? He, he, and, and I think the term that he... The phrase, he walked with God, there's a lot built into that, I think. It's intimacy. He, he loved God. Noah loved God. He loved God more than he loved anything else. You see that reflected in Hebrews 11 by, when the writer says, By faith, Noah acted in reverent fear of God and built an ark. He lived in all of His Creator. And because He loved God and was in awe of God, He obeyed God. And that characterized His life. And so, He, he lived in an awareness that God was imminent. He lived in an awareness that God was bringing judgment. He lived in an awareness of His accountability to His Creator. And His manner of life reflected all of that. I mean, it wasn't just, it wasn't just a, a, a verbal confession. I believe, or I'm a Christian, or whatever. His whole manner of life bore out the fact that He believed God. And because of that, when judgment came, when the rain came, Noah was not unaware. Right? But everybody else was. 
For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Do you see the the picture Jesus is painting? He's saying, just like it was in the days of Noah, people are going to be so wrapped up in their own self-interest, living like there's no Creator, just pursuing their own desires, not for the glory of God, not even in procreation, not not getting married and reproducing for the glory of God, you know, with the intent to fill the earth with the glory of God, but just pursuing their own pleasures in a sinful way, leaving God out of the equation. And because of that, they were caught unaware. Until it was too late. Because you know what happened? When the rain started coming, when the judgment started coming down, the rain's falling and the water's rising, right? God opened up the fountains of the deep and poured down rain from heaven and the water's rising. But by that time, by the time they realized what was happening... God had shut the door of the ark. And they all perished. And Jesus says, that's the way it's going to be when I return. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's this cycle that we've already seen in Genesis, and we see it throughout the Bible. Sin. And then... Judgment. God determines to bring judgment, right? And then, for the saints, and this is where encouragement comes in for believers, you you have the cycle of sin, judgment, and then there's a third stage, restoration or renewal. And you see that play out over and over again with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. They sin against God. God... Bring, you know, usually he'd send prophets to denounce them, and then eventually he'd bring judgment upon them, and they're carried away in captivity or something like that, like happened with the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And then he would bring restoration, renewal. Bring the captives out of Babylon back to the homeland, rebuild the city, rebuild the temple, that sort of thing. And you see that play out. Sometimes on smaller scale, sometimes on large scale. But you see it play out over and over and over in the Scripture. And that's exactly how all of human history is playing out. Because God creates. Man sins, rebels against God. And God brings judgment. And we're living in a day now where it's the day of, a day of grace. But we... Similar to the days of Noah, right? We're, we are forewarned, judgment is coming. And there, are, there is a sense in which it is even coming now on unbelievers as they are given over, Romans 1, as they are given over to pursue their own sinful desires. But ultimately there is a final 
judgment coming. It's like the shutting of the door on the ark. I mean, when it gets to that point, there, there is no place for repentance. It's too late. It's over. When, when the water is over your head and you can't get in the ark because the door is sealed, it's over. And that day's coming, just like it was in Noah's day on a smaller scale. Now, the renewal part, Lord willing, we'll get to next week with Genesis 9. For now, sin, which we've been talking about the last few weeks, judgment, which we've been talking about the last week or two, God sends the rain, all flesh is destroyed with the exception of only eight souls who were safe in the ark. And Jesus says, that's the way it will be when I return. Generally speaking, that is, that generation will be living a lifestyle characterized by selfish pursuits, sensuality, indifference to God, or even denial of God. Living as if there is no accountability. And then there are a couple of exhortations here that Jesus gives. Look at verse 42. Matthew 24, verse 42. Therefore, stay awake. Stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And then he gives this little parable. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Just a parable to make the point. If your house was going to be broken into and you knew when it was going to happen, you'd stay up shotgun loaded, right? But if you don't know, well, you, you're, you sleep and... Your house gets broken into and you're in trouble. Therefore, you also must be ready. Verse 44. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You see, again, he's, he's drawing that parallel. In the days of Noah, they were not expecting it. You say, well, my goodness. Couldn't they take the hint? I mean, this guy's building this enormous boat. <laughs> what about the ones that were living right there in close proximity to Noah? And they saw this thing that he's building. And they heard his preaching. Peter says the Spirit of Jesus testified to them through Noah. They saw him building this boat and they heard his preaching. What about them? Weren't they ready? Weren't they aware? No. Because they rejected the message. As well as the messenger. So Jesus warns and exhorts, be ready. <laughs> be ready. You've got to be ready because nobody knows the day or the hour. Now, real quick, just to drive the point home, I'm just going to give you these. I'm not going to read through it, but he, he gives an illustration that uh, that I did just read in verse 43. 
He's making this point. Be ready. Be ready. And he's driving the point home. Then he goes on in verses 45 through 51 to give the parable of the faithful servant and the wicked servant. And that's, we looked at a little bit of that a moment ago, talking about the wicked servant beating his fellow servants. He's violent because the master was delaying his coming, was eating and drinking and getting uh, drunk. Then Jesus in chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, gives the parable of the ten virgins. Again, another exhortation to be ready because you don't know at what hour he's coming. And then in 25, 13... There's another exhortation. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And then Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, the parable of the talents, telling us that we will be held accountable for what we know and for what we are given. And then Matthew 25, Verse 30, the warning of, of coming judgment. Cast the worthless servant. He, he's just coming out of that parable and he says, Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus' description of the final judgment. This is not a parable. Uh, there are some metaphors used here, but this is not a parable. I think this is Jesus describing the final judgment that is coming. In chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And he winds that up in verse 46. These will go away. Of course, he's talking about the wicked, those who um, we would say unbelievers, those who were not uh, living godly. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. As it was in the days of Noah... That's the way it'll be in the day of the Son of Man. So here it is. Walk with God and obey His Word. Right? Because our main point is be ready, right? Be ready. Because He's coming in an hour when you don't expect Him. Okay? We get, we get the point from, from Matthew 24, from Matthew 25. We get the point. Be ready because He's coming and He's coming when you don't know. But how do we be ready? How do we do that? What's it look like? How does, the, how does the Bible describe that? Well, again, think of Noah in the days of Noah. In the midst of, perver- of a perverse generation, Noah stood out. How? Because he walked with God. And he obeyed God. I mean, we, we have it repeated back there in 6, 7, and 8. He, he did all that the Lord commanded him to do, right? Phrases like that. He walked with God and he obeyed God. So what about us? Since, since the return of Jesus uh, is before us, the judgment is before us, what should we learn from the story of Noah? Well, that we need to always be ready. We need to always be ready. God is, we need to take our sin serious. because God is serious about sin. And judgment is coming. For Noah, being ready, once again, just to drive the point home, for Noah, it meant to walk with God and obey all that the Lord commanded him to do. Well, that's what it means for us as well. To live our lives in total surrender to the will of God. 
We are to love Him above all else and live in submission to His revealed will, which is right here, by the way. How do we do that? Now here I'm closing with this. Because you may still be saying, okay, let's see, I, I want to obey God. I want to do what's right. I want to walk with God. How do I do that? Faith in Jesus Christ. We are all sinners. Even Noah was a sinner. But he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And through the means that God provided, Noah was saved from destruction when God brought judgment. And you know, it works the same way with us. It is not going to be a big boat in a flood. God sent His own Son into the world. In fact, Paul says in Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, rebels. So instead of taking refuge in a big boat, we take refuge in Christ. Trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. You know what? Because we are all sinners. Trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and for the gift of eternal life. That's how to be ready. Would you stand, please?